The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Gary South, uh, who needs no introduction, so I guess we won't give him one. Actually, we'll give him a little <laughs> one. He's a Gary South veteran political strategist, and we wanted to talk to Gary today about uh, recall issues and Becerra replacement issues and anything else Gary would like to talk about. So, Gary, thank you very much for joining us today. Always happy to be with you. Uh, on the recall, where are we on the recall, and is this real? even though I know today is a deadline, uh, as we record this, it's March 17th, and today is a deadline for the proponents to put in 1.495 million signatures. Uh, is this real? Do you think they'll do it? And if so, what happens next? Well, correction, today is the second deadline. I mean, you really can't talk about the recall without pointing out the fact that this thing would not have come close to qualifying. It wouldn't have come halfway to qualifying without the fact that the proponents went to this idiot Republican judge in Sacramento back in November after the 160 days that they are accorded under the law to raise the necessary number of signatures and asked for an extension based upon the fact that you had, uh, you know, COVID going on. This judge, who, by the way, was a, is a Republican, appointed by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the only governor ever elected in a recall in California history, and at the time, at the time he deliberated and issued his ruling was a Trump nominated, uh, a, a nominated judge to the federal bench. So keep that in mind. Of his own accord decided that he would accord these proponents of the recall another 120 days past the original 160 days to collect the necessary number of signatures. Not six, not 30 days, not 60 days, not 90 days, but 120 days. As you know, there have been 55 recall attempts in California history of sitting governors. Only one of them ever made the ballot. That was the one against Davis in 2003. This will be the second. It's going to qualify. But it's only going to qualify because a judge single-handedly gave the proponents of the recall an unprecedented additional amount of time in which to raise the necessary number of signatures. And if, if that 120-day extension had not been afforded them, they wouldn't have come close to qualifying the recall. So, you know, the proponents had a big press conference earlier in the week talking about the fact they had 200, 2 million signatures uh, in hand. Well, they probably do. <laughs> but that is that is not because there's been some big groundswell of, of, you know, popular opposition to Gavin Newsom. It is, in fact, and it is an underreported part of the story, unfortunately, it is due to the fact solely that this judge gave the the proponents an extra four months to gather the necessary signatures to qualify the initiative. So you have to you have to put all of that. That is the predicate for this discussion about the recall. Are there similarities between 2003 and 2021 uh, as far as the recall goes? Uh, is was Davis's recall a you know, was that a pro, was that a prologue to what happens in the future? 
Is there something that happened there that we can look at to say this is a signal for what's going to happen this year if there is, in fact, a recall election this year? Well, there will be one. But, John, let me give you five reasons why this recall does not equate at all to the one in 2003. First of all, California is now just a lot more democratic than it was even 17 years ago or 18 years ago. I mean, here are the numbers. In the 2003 recall, Democrats had only an 8.4% registration advantage over Republicans in California. It's now 22%, almost three times as large. And Republicans are down to their all-time low of 24.2% of the electorate. Less than one out of four voters is a registered Republican. So that's, that's one of the, that's one of the factors that separates this recall from the one in 2003. Number two, Newsom won a far stronger victory in, in 2018 than Davis did in 2000, in 2002. I mean, I ran Davis's campaign, as you know, in 2002 for reelection. And, you know, we struggled through at the end with only a 47 to 42 percent victory over basically an empty suit. After we spent $78 million, which, which set an all-time national record for a governor's race. Um, Newsom, by contrast, in 2018, was elected 62 to 38. That was the largest percentage that any governor of California had been, um, had been elected by since 1950, before I was born. So, they're not starting. Hey, that's not, a long time ago. Yeah, before they're you were not born. starting. Okay, me too. Yeah, they're, they're not starting. They're not starting in the in the same place based upon their last, um, their their last election results. Number three, even though his approval numbers have deflated, um, particularly since last fall, Newsom's um, job approval ratings are nowhere near the Nixon level disapproval ratings that Davis received in in '03. I mean, for example. The, the field poll, God rest its soul, in, in August of 2003, recorded a job approval rating for Gray Davis of 22%, the lowest that field had ever recorded for a sitting governor in its 50-year history at that point. I mean, that's down into Nixon territory just before he resigned. Now, even though Newsom's numbers have deflated, I mean, they were at once up to, I think, 62, 64%. Um, but, you know, the PPIC poll in January found that, you know, his approval rating was 54 to um, to 36. And so he's nowhere near uh, the low mark that Davis was at when he faced the recall in 2003. Fourth, there is no obvious larger-than-life action figure um, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, hanging in the wings waiting to run. I mean, who, who exactly would it be? Um, the Rock, Vin Diesel, Dolph Lundgren, I mean, Lou Ferrigno, maybe bring back Fabio. I mean, the bare naked fact is there simply isn't another Arnold Schwarzenegger out there in any way, shape or form that, that equates to his standing that he had in 2003, um, in the recall. And five, the chances are nil that Newsom's own Democratic lieutenant governor will engage in the treachery of running to replace him like Cruz Bustamante did um, with Gray Davis in 2003. I mean, the Democrats are – there will be Democrats file who are registered Democrats because, you know, you only have five five cents basically to 
as a filing fee and like five signatures. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's it's absurdly low um, in order to qualify for the replacement line as a candidate. Um, but Democrats are, as you've seen over the last week or so, you know, Democrats are unified um, against this recall because because they understand that it's been basically prompted by a bunch of of, you know, proud boys, anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, you know, Trumpites. Um, and it's just not the kind of environment in which this kind of recall backed by those kind of elements um, is going to succeed in California. So the recall is going to get on the ballot, is going to qualify, again, only because they were given a four-month extension by a judge, unprecedented, by the way, in the 55 recalls that have been now, launched now, against California Gary, governors. To, to play devil's advocate here, so you had they did extend this by four months, but the argument there that could be made is that in a normal time, when we were not in the middle of COVID, they could have been standing out in front of pizza parlors and events venues and at Giants games, etc., trying to collect those signatures amongst large crowds of people that just were not, they didn't exist during the COVID era. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I buy the argument that they could have, have gone through and, and, and tapped that and gotten those numbers. But I think there is an argument to be made that, that extension was warranted. Now, you know, how long that extension could have been, should have been, is, is obviously up for question. But I do think it's fair to say that, you know, collecting signatures for a ballot initiative uh, during the COVID era was an unfairly difficult. Well, I disagree program. with you. So, I disagree with you. I mean, they knew when they filed this recall petition that there was a pandemic going on. This wasn't filed in 2019. I mean, they knew when they filed this. <laughs> Remember, this this recall was was certified for the for for the streets by the Secretary of State on June 10th. The the pandemic started back in March. They knew what the circumstances were when they filed the recall petition. Well, I mean, of course, I think part of big part of the reason that they wanted to file the recall, or at least stated reason, was the quote unquote mis. That is not true. That is totally not true. Go back and read the recall petition. It does not mention the pandemic one single time. It is simply a laundry list of really? every right wing grievance in California. It's guns, it's taxes, it's illegal aliens. You go back and read it. It does not mention the pandemic at all. This is this is an ex post facto rationale that they've come up with. And by the way, by the way, fifty five recall attempts against sitting governors and the history of the recall in California back to nineteen eleven, right? There's a reason why only one of them qualified, because even though the the length of time that proponents are given in California, as opposed to other states that have recalls, there are 19 other states, the, the 160 days is extraordinarily liberal. But only one out of the previous 54 was able to qualify. Why was that? Because there was a pandemic going on? No, because it's difficult to raise the number of signatures that you need to qualify a recall of a governor based upon the statutes as they apply to a recall in California. These people have no one to blame but themselves. Uh, Gary, the the idea that um, or the the suggestion that they've raised over two million, they've gathered over two million signatures. Uh, which has yet to be validated, but they say they've gathered, gathered over 2 million signatures. That's a pretty heavy lift. That's 12%, right, of the previous gubernatorial election, the total count in the previous election. That's a heavy lift, and they met the lift. So I'm wondering, are there, are there lots of voters out there from the, Demo- from the nuisance-owned party that are saying, 
he needs to go? Or is this strictly, or is something else going on? Well, I would make two points, John. One is that it's not necessarily a heavy lift if you get 280 days to raise the signatures. I mean, look, I, I have qualified about a half dozen ballot measures in California, not recalls, but ballot measures, and they have to operate with, under the same rules, right? Now, every one of them qualified, but some of them were extremely close at the end in getting the requisite number of signatures that are, that, yeah. that are, that, that hit the threshold. So, you know, the, the idea somehow this is some kind of a groundswell against Gavin Newsom. Well, they did get two million signatures. Um, but you know, you give me 280 days, I could get two million signatures to seed <laughs> California back to Mexico. I mean, that's just the way it works in California, right? So that's, that's, that's no great, that's no great kudos to the, to the proponents. No. Are you, as part of that, are you guaranteeing a taco truck on every corner? Is that part of your, your, well, no, but you know, one, one, one of the main proponents of the recall did, did publicly, um, suggests that we we put microchips in 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 immigrants in California if you go back and look at all the looniness that that's involved with with the recall proponents um but you know number 2 number 2 um it's i mean look at all the ballot measures that have been qualified in California i mean john you followed them over the years so have i every every 2 years and some of those are loony in and of themselves, and some of them go down in, in flames, even though they have hit the target and they've got the right number of signatures, qualified valid signatures, in order to get it on the ballot. So getting something on the ballot, and trust, trust, trust this from someone who knows, because I've done it numerous times over 20 years, getting the requisite number of signatures to qualify something for the ballot in California is a factor of time and money. They got an extraordinary number um, number of months to collect these signatures that has never been afforded to a single other um, recall attempt in the history of California back to 1911. Uh, uh, Gary, what about the national implications of this? Uh, uh, you know, I've read stories about the, the nationally the reefs want to get involved. Uh, in Good, I hope they this. do. I've seen comparisons between Newsom and Cuomo in New York. Uh, there are more differences than similarities there, but uh, the, the idea that this becomes a national issue for the Republican Party as they look towards the next elections, you see, you see that happening? Is it going on right now? Yes, it is, and it should. I mean, in 2003, we, we had the intention of trying to make that recall into a, an attempt by a, an unfriendly administration in Washington, George W. Bush, who lost California twice, and by his evil political genius, Karl Rove, to try to come in here and take out a Democratic governor that they couldn't take out fair and square in the 2002 re-election campaign. The problem with that was twofold. Number one, once Arnold Schwarzenegger got into that race, he became the face of the recall. And despite being a registered Republican, as you know, lifelong, he just didn't have a very partisan image. I mean, he's married to a Kennedy for Christ's sake, right? He had, he had 100% name ID in California. He didn't have to spend millions of dollars telling people who he was. He was the Terminator. He was larger than life. He was an action figure. And once he got involved in it as the public face of the recall, and remember, even though there were 135 candidates running in that recall, a virtual clown car of, of, of candidates, he got 49% of the vote. He got almost half the vote. And so once he got involved in the recall and became the public face of the recall, it became 
And I saw the polling. I saw the focus groups. I was sitting there. It became very, very hard for Davis and the supporters of Davis to brand this credibly with the average voter as an attempt by national Republicans to come in here and rip out a Democratic governor who'd been validly, validly elected. And by the way, one, one little thing that people forget is that George W. Bush actually came into California in 2003. I think at least once and maybe twice on fundraising trips. And he kept his mouth shut about the recall. He wouldn't respond to questions about the recall because they were smart enough to understand that if you made this about the national Republicans and an unfriendly administration in Washington coming in here, you know, trying to win in a, trying to get a mulligan basically to win in a recall election, what they couldn't win fair and square in a regularly scheduled election the year before that it was bad for the recall. They kept their mouths shut. I mean, in this case, you've got every crank in the National Republican Party. I mean, the, the Republican National Committee itself contributed $250,000 to this recall. That's, by the way, Trump's National Republican National Committee with a chair that he hand-selected, with a chair that he endorsed for re-election, which she was, and the same National Committee that sat there and and gave wild applause to Trump a month or so ago when he actually appeared in front of the the committee itself. I think it was remotely, but nonetheless. So, and you have you have you know Newt Gingrich weighing in on it. You have Mike Huckabee weighing in on it and throwing money at it. I mean, more power to him. The more this looks like a like an attempt by the Trump faction. Um, by the way, he got 34% of the vote in California um, in, in 2020. That, that tells you pretty much what the Republican ceiling is in California. Um, well, one difference, you know, it strikes me, one difference between 2003 and now is that at the time, in 2003, there was a lot of uh, speculation about the lack of real in-depth loyalty to Davis. He didn't have over time, had over years, had built up a really loyal cadre, as other Democrats, you know, Pat Brown had, uh, Pete Wilson had, even George McMajan had, but Davis didn't have this cadre of really loyal people who would surround him in the event of a crisis. And there's a similarity between that and Cuomo now, as I'm reading in the last couple of days, he's got the same problem, where there's a lack of really uh, intense loyalists who followed him over the years, been been with him through thick and thin. Um, so I'm wondering now, Newsom has much more, it seems to me, Newsom has much more uh, of an in-depth, loyal, over the years following than Davis had. Is that fair or no? It is very fair, John. And I was there, you know, I ran Davis's campaign for governor in 1998, and I ran his campaign for re-election in 2002. So I know what was going on on the ground. And, you know, one of the un, sort of untalked un about um, factors that played into the 2002-2003 recall was that, as you stated earlier, under California law, um, a recall attempt against the governor has to has to collect 12% of the number of voters who voted in the last gubernatorial election there has to be a valid you know they have to be validated but the the threshold they have to reach is 12% of the number of voters who voted in the last gubernatorial election not registered voters not everybody who voted in the last election but but just that number of people who voted in the gubernatorial election and because the enthusiasm level for Davis was so low in 2002 it not only contributed to his um, lackluster 
you know, re-election victory, 47 to 42. But, but it also set an extremely low threshold for the recall opponents in terms of the number of signatures they needed to collect because it was, I believe, at the time, it was, it was like the lowest percentage of turnout in 40 or 50 years in a gubernatorial election in California. So it played, it played, um, it played two different ways, both of them uh, detrimental to Davis. One was his re-election victory was not impressive at all, like like Newsom's election victory was in 2018. It was very unimpressive for an incumbent that spent all the money that we did. But number two, because the the voter turnout in that election was so low, um, it, 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 it basically um, allowed the recall opponents the next year a very low target in terms of how many signatures they had to gather to qualify the recall. I mean, I, I was on a panel. This is kind of ancient history, but I was on a panel um, after the 2002 re-election where Davis won with a pretty well-known Republican consultant that you, you know well and has probably been on your podcast before who 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 likened the choice <laughs> between Davis and Bill Simon to having to choose between whether you like Lyle or Eric Menendez better. Um <laughs> <laughs> which was a line I, which was a line I could never forget. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that happened, one of the, one of the things that happened in that reelection campaign, which again I ran, which was very concerning to me was that we, we started getting reports back from the field very early on that, 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 you know, the local counties, the county parties were having a, a lot of trouble getting volunteers to man their phone banks. And it all came to a head. Um, the weekend before the election, when the ticket did its and you know its usual fly around to four or five different cities, um, and in San Francisco, by the way, the bastion of democratic politics in California, right? The city of San Francisco, um, where Republican candidate gets gets you know four percent of the vote, six percent of the vote, eleven percent of the vote. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but we had a rally in um, Union Square, and <laughs> afterwards. It turned out that the, the San Francisco Republican Party was having so much trouble getting people to just show up for that rally that they were going down to the Tenderloin and paying uh, homeless people $5 to come over and stand in Union Square to make the crowd look bigger, and they got zapped for it. So all kinds of warning signs, all kinds of warning signs in that 2002 re-election campaign that, that, that did sort of point the way uh, toward 2003 and Davis getting recalled. So I, so I guess the obvious question is then is there any parallel between that and now? Uh, uh, you know, for, for example, does national money coming – I don't know why national Republicans would come into California when there are probably a lot of better things they could spend their money on in terms of trying to get control of the Senate or the House. Uh, but uh, would that make a difference? Would national money – from whatever interest coming into California make a difference in this recall, assuming that the California recall uh, proponents don't have the money to to make the nut. Well, remember one thing, John, and that is that in a in a recall um, campaign against a governor, you know, since since um, 2000 and for the last 20 years, we have had contribution limits that apply to all statewide offices and legislative campaigns as well. Um, yep. in, in terms of the contribution limits for a governor's race, those are there's a there's an inflation escalator, and I believe the amount for this particular cycle for 2001, 2002, 2021, 2022 is thirty eight thousand dollars. Right, you can only take thirty eight thousand dollars from and change from 
one vo- one donor. But when a governor is under recall, that target of the recall can can raise unlimited money in unlimited amounts from anybody. So uh-huh. Newsom just filed a, a an anti-recall committee. That's different from his gubernatorial committee, which is still extant and, and I think has $20 million sitting in it. But th- in that recall committee, Newsom can raise unlimited money. There are no contribution limits whatsoever. If, if, if a labor union wants to give him $2 million, they're free to do that. However, on the replacement candidate line, whoever files to replace him is limited to the current contribution limits in a typical governor's race. They do not get unlimited, the unlimited ability to raise money. So the bottom line there is no matter how it plays out in terms of money, it's clearly it's weighted towards the incumbent. Absolutely it is. And it, and, and by the way, it should be. It should be. It, I mean, it's, it should be. Um, that's the way it should be. And so there will be national money come in. I mean, I, you know, I don't say welcome it, but I mean, what they've done already is pretty foolish by putting the RNC stamp on this. I mean, believe me, <laughs> you know, if Newsom's smart and his people are smart, and they are, um, that $250,000 that the RNC gave to the recall proponents is going to is going to cause them a lot more hurt than $250,000 worth because it can be branded now as being supported by the Republican Nash Trump's Republican National Committee. Gary, let me ask you a couple other things here just really quickly. Uh, uh it looks like Javier Becerra is going to get confirmed and reading now from a couple hours ago. Uh looks like he'll get confirmed. Uh, for Health and Human Services in the Biden administration. So what does that mean for his replacement in California? You called the last one right, uh, much to my amazement, because Padilla was not at the top of my list, but he, he certainly was at yours and and several others as well. So we're looking for who's going to replace Becerra as attorney general in California. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I do. And um I think you have to look at this. He is going to get confirmed. I mean, it's going to be tight. It's going to be close. It may be 41-48. Who knows? But he's going to get confirmed. So he's he's going to be gone in a week or so, just a few days perhaps. And so you have to look at at the appointment of his replacement as sort of a trifecta that Gavin Newsom has come into. He gets to appoint a United States senator. He appointed the Secretary of State, so that opened up that office, and he appointed the replacement as Secretary of State, and now he's going to get to appoint the Attorney General. I mean, that's a that's an uh, that's a huge um, historical first for any governor of California that I'm aware of in any in any recent time. So he what does he do? Well, he appoints as the the replacement for Kamala Harris. He appoints the first ever Latino to represent California in the United States Senate and Alex Padilla. He leaves the Secretary of State's office and he appoints Shirley Weber, a black assemblywoman, as the first ever black woman to hold the office of Secretary of State. My bet is, and I'm saying this as a white male, you know, you've seen me, right? <laughs> I don't think, I mean, there's been speculation about- A Ukrainian about, disc jockey, I think is how Bob yeah. Saladay described it. Years ago, in the LA Times, but definitely did, you're a white yeah. male, as am I, as am Tim. Right. So, I never, I never, go. I never forgot that description of me as a Ukrainian talk show host. But, <laughs> um, but, but, but here's what I would say. I mean, I don't know who he's going to appoint, but, but I do know Newsom pretty well. And as you know, I ran his first campaign for governor that got aborted back in 2008, 2009. But, you know, he's appointed an historic first 
in, in the U.S. Senate. He appointed a historic first in the Secretary of State's office. And I think that he's going to be looking for a, for some sort of historical nature to his appointment to replace Becerra as well. And, you know, there are there's several candidates that come to mind. I mean, Assemblymember Rob Bonta, who uh, was the first ever, believe this or not, you know, California has the largest by far Asian American population in California are Filipino Americans, not Chinese, not Koreans, not Vietnamese, but Filipino Americans. And Rob Bonta is the first ever Filipino American to be elected to the to the California state legislature. And if he were if he were appointed um, attorney general, he would be the first ever um, Filipino a statewide office holder. Um, so Newsom likes to make history. You you know his history. I mean, he did it with same-sex marriage as mayor of San Francisco. He did it with the death penalty when he, you know, ordered all the equipment taken out of the, um, you know, the death chamber in, in San Quentin. He likes to make history. He likes to be first. He likes to do things that are, that are you know, precedent-setting. And, you know, I frankly, even though I think Daryl Steinberg, whose name has been mentioned, I mean, uh, uh, he, he was he was a terrific, you know, president pro tem of the Senate. I think he's been a really good mayor under a weak mayor form in Sacramento. Um, uh, he's been speculated about, but I just don't see this going to a white male. And again, I say that as a white male. Although, would he, I, I actually don't know this, the answer to this question, would he be the first Jewish attorney general in California? That I can't really answer. I haven't looked at that. Um, he may well be, but I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, look, you have to look at it. I mean, this is, you know, getting down to to uh, identity politics, which we Democrats get accused of. But, you know, if you look if you look at the base of the Democratic Party, not just nationally, but, you know, particularly here in California, um, you know, the three major ethnic groups that constitute really the base of our base are Latinos and African-Americans and Asian-Americans. And by the way, Asian-Americans uh, in California are over 13% of the total population. That's over twice the population of African-Americans in California. Um, and they're all very loyal Democratic voters. And so if you want to look at it in terms of sort of, I don't know, triangulation to, to resurrect a Clintonian term, um, you know, Newsom, Newsom has, has done right by the Latino constituency by appointing the first ever Latino, uh, senator to represent California in the, in the U.S. Senate. He's appointed the first black woman ever to serve as a secretary of state. Um, and you know, what's left? And I, if you look back over the last two attorneys general, I mean, from, you know, 2011 until she left in 2016, um, we had our first black um, attorney general in in Kamala Harris. And when Javier Becerra was appointed to replace her after she left and went to the Senate, we have our first Latino attorney general. Um, you know, I don't think this is I don't think this is is is, is um, you know, uh, tokenism or or quotas. But I but I think that, you know, I don't know that a Democratic governor with the Democratic coalition looking as it does in California, I just don't think you you probably replace a black woman uh, as attorney general and a Latino as attorney general with with a white male. Gary, fair enough. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Always uh, happy to blabber. I, as usual, I learned something, as I always do when I talk to you. And Tim Foster, thank you very much. 
Thanks, John. Thank you both. um, uh, And this is John Howard. We'll say uh, goodbye for now, but we'll see you next time around. And Gary, we want to have you on after we find out who the appointment is and what happens later. So this, this is probably part one, and we'll have a part two later, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Be happy to. Always happy to chat. Great. Thank you so much to all. This is John Howard saying goodbye, and we'll see you next time around. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.